Today we study a very controversial passage, Hebrews chapter 6. Welcome to our study here on the Radio Bible Course. Hebrews chapter 6 is perhaps the most difficult and most controversial passage in the Bible. Those people who believe that a Christian can be lost after being saved and that perseverance is necessary in addition to his faith use this passage for support. These people believe in the insecurity of the believer. Those who believe that we are saved only through faith by the grace of God, not in cooperation with works, are threatened by this chapter because it does appear that saved people can be lost. The result is that many students of the Bible conclude that the passage does not deal with believers at all. They eliminate the problem of explaining the Christians' suggested loss of salvation by saying they weren't Christians. Now, briefly, there are four major interpretations of this passage. The first one is that these were not believers. They were only Jews who had yet not decided to believe in Christ. Second view is that these were professing believers, but not possessing believers, and Dr. Schofield holds that view. The third view is that this is only a hypothetical illustration, and it was used or written to urge the Hebrews to grow in the faith so that they would not be disciplined. And the fourth one, that it does refer to believers who have fallen away from Christ, rejecting openly the one in whom they earlier had completely trusted. Now, before we proceed any further, we better read the text. Listen to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, with instruction about ablutions or washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then commit apostasy, since they crucify the Son of God on their own account and hold him up to contempt. I mentioned there are four interpretations of who might be in mind here in this chapter, and perhaps we have created our own problem by limiting ourselves to these alternatives. Well, what else is there? How can you explain the passage? I suggest that the context of the entire book, along with a careful analysis of these passages in Hebrews 6, suggests a more satisfying solution. To be sure, problems unresolved are problems not dissolved, so we must address the problems here. Now let's consider the context before we take this up verse by verse. Have you ever heard a sermon from a pastor which tried to convince you that Jesus is superior to angels. Well, I doubt that you did. I never have. Why not? Because we already know that. 
we are not troubled by the fact that Jesus was only an angel or less than an angel. We know that he's superior. He's the Son of God. Now, I've never heard a sermon either that tried to prove that Jesus Christ was superior to Moses. That's not our problem, so we don't get sermons on that subject. Nor is the Aaronic priesthood our problem. And so we don't get sermons about how Jesus is a better priest than the Old Testament priest. That's too obvious. But it was a problem in the first century because those Hebrews who had become Christians would not let go of Judaism. Now, this is what we learn from the entire context of the book of Hebrews. Don't try to understand this difficult Hebrews chapter 6 apart from the context of the whole book. Now, here's another question, and it's related to chapter 10. Have you ever heard a sermon that tried to convince you that the blood of bulls and goats will not take away sins? Of course not, because we do not offer the blood of bulls and goats for as sin offerings. But the Hebrews did. And the writer writes this in chapter 10, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices which are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? If the worshippers had once been cleansed, they would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sin year after year, for it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. The Hebrews were troubled about this. Apparently they were offering again the blood of bulls and goats, or if not actually offering them, after believing in Jesus Christ to take away their sins, they at least were showing some respect for the sacrifices. And they may have been thinking, or perhaps been persuaded by some of the Jewish teachers, that they ought to offer sacrifices again in addition to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, why did the writer of the book also write in Hebrews chapter 9 about the regulations of divine worship under the first covenant? and write that they apply to gifts and sacrifices which cannot make the worshippers perfect in conscience. And then he adds in chapter 9, verse 10, that those regulations relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. They were temporary until Christ brought the reformation. Why also did he write in chapter 10 that the priests offered continual sacrifices? But Christ offered one and sat down, and by offering this one time he has perfected for all time those who are set apart. He wrote it because the Hebrews were trying to perfect themselves by the Old Testament regulations. Now listen to chapter 10, verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. That's true. But apparently, these Hebrew Christians were thinking that they needed to make offerings. And that's why he wrote this. When someone convinces you that Christ's sacrifice was not enough to forgive sin for all time, 
you will likely look for some ritual or regulation to make up what you think Christ did not take care of. But the Bible says he did. There can be no further offering. Now let's analyze chapter 6, opening verses. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. It's surprising that the author uses the word, therefore, let us go on to maturity, when he at the end of chapter 5 said that they couldn't handle meat, but had become like children needing milk. Why does he say, let us leave the elementary principles of the doctrine of Christ when they need that? Because that's what he already gave them in the first three chapters. He talked to them all about all the basic things about the importance and the deity of Jesus Christ. He proved how great he was, that he was the Son of God, that he was greater than angels, greater than Moses, and declared to be a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, going on to maturity or perfection is where he plans to take them in chapter 7 when he continues the subject of Melchizedek. The doctrines of Christ are not found in this verse, this opening verse here. That came earlier in the opening chapters of this book. Now, these six subjects listed are usually thought to be those doctrines of Christ. Now, let me read the first two verses so you get all six of these doctrines. He said, Let us leave, therefore, the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, with instruction about ablutions, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are not Christian doctrines. These are far more Jewish than Christian, as most scholars will concede. The list here is what the Pharisees practiced. For example, it talks about repentance, and that was the message of John the Baptist to the Jews in the first century. He preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the people came and were baptized by John, and they did repent. Now, what about the repentance from dead works? Well, it's interesting that Hebrews 9.14 mentions that very thing. It says, first of all, in verse 13, for if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What are those dead works? Well, they're the rituals of the Old Testament. They're dead works. They didn't save anybody. Now, the second in the list here, in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 6, is faith toward God. Well, that certainly is a Christian doctrine, but it's also a Hebrew doctrine. That's what the prophets preached in the Old Testament. That is not a unique Christian doctrine. Then we have in the King James Version the doctrine of baptisms 
or as it says in the Revised Standard Version, instruction about ablutions or washings. Well, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus and Numbers, we read about the washings, various washings connected with Judaism. This doctrine of baptisms has nothing to do with Christian baptism, but Hebrew baptism. And the word is found again in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, where we get some instruction about the Old Testament rituals. Listen to it. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various ablutions, that is, baptisms, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. That's clearly indicating that these are Old Testament washings. We will not be able to finish verse 2 today, but I hope you'll join me here next week when we do complete this. We'll talk about the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we'll do that verse by verse. What kind of orientation to the Bible did you get? Most people have received none. Isn't it strange that they were introduced to a book of two religions, two leaders, two lifestyles, and two destinies without any orientation? I want you to know about a cassette course that will give you critical orientation to the Bible. It's called Understanding the New Testament. The material on these ten tapes is not included in any book. Write for information to the Radio Bible Course. Until next week, this is Nick Calavoda reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.